Book of Mormon Prophecy, a podcast series by Avraham Gileadi, Ph.D. 22. What is ripening in iniquity? Why is it important to know the difference between sin and iniquity? How do we know when we as a people are ripe in iniquity? What happens to us then? Welcome to podcast number 22, What is Ripening in Iniquity? I'm going to start with Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. Parents' iniquity on the heads of the children. The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, Jehovah God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. So, is this contradictory or what? He's forgiving on the one hand, iniquity, and then the iniquities of the fathers and the heads of the children, and he by no means clears the guilty. So what is going on? Well, first of all, let's distinguish between sin and iniquity. Sin is an error, a transgression, a mistake, something you do wrong, and you can repent of it, acknowledge it, confess it, where appropriate, and clean up your act. Don't do it again. Iniquity, however, as it says here, continues down the generations once it is set in motion, so to speak. And it is the effects of sins, it is the continuing effects, the generational effects of sins that are in the nature of covenant curses, and they can be passed from generation to generation. And the solution to both sins and iniquities, of course, is to repent, to repent of them, to take ownership of them. And so it is with iniquity. Let's imagine that you or I have inherited iniquities from our forefathers or from our parents or whoever, and we've inherited these covenant curses or dysfunctional patterns in our lives because we've been brought up that way, we've been brought up in dysfunctions and propensities to sin more than other people, say, that's, who've had clean lives from the beginning, so to speak. And then what do we do with that? So the solution is to take ownership of it and repent of those things, those tendencies that we have and those things that we suffer as a consequence of our parental or generational wrongdoing until we turn it around. And a great exemplar we have of that is Abraham, who was born into such a situation. His father was an idolater, and his fathers had been idolaters. But he decided he wanted to be like Melchizedek, his ancestor, and returned to good and took ownership of it and his iniquities and cleaned up his generations. And from then on, it was the blessings of the fathers on the heads of the children to the third and fourth generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they were the most blessed of people and prophets of God and patriarchs that we look up to. So this is also what we can do. We can take these generational dysfunctions, these inherited covenant curses, some that we may have contributed ourselves, and turn them around through the grace of God and through the atonement of Jesus Christ that helps to heal the generations and turn these curses into blessings. 
How do we do that? Well, if you take ownership of them and act as if they are our own, because after all, we consented to come here and take upon ourselves these very things before we came into mortality. If you take ownership of them and consider them our own, then we can learn to rise above them by making those weak things become strong in us and becoming purified and sanctified before God so that those iniquities and curses eventually just dissipate and disappear. And that is part of the purification and sanctification process that lies beyond just being forgiven of your sins. It is one thing to be forgiven of your sins, to go from a celestial person to a terrestrial person and receive God's salvation. But it's another thing to receive exaltation. And for that, we have to be more valiant and overcome these things, overcome a lot of other things, challenges we meet in life and so forth, live a higher law until we are sanctified and become a reborn, as it were, on a celestial level, reborn spiritually. So let's get back into ripening in iniquity, which is the subject. Now I've shown you that the iniquities can go from generation to generation, and they don't go away unless somebody turns it around. That's why we call these people who turn it around a transitional generation, a transitional person. Okay, we go to First Nephi 17.35, a fullness of wrath on those ripe in iniquity. The Lord esteemeth all flesh in one. Now here, Nephi is talking about the Canaanites who were ripe in iniquity when the Israelites came out of Egypt under Moses and they inherited the promised land by killing off the Canaanites who had ripened iniquity and it was God's wrath upon the Canaanites. When Joshua led them in battle, they wiped them out for the most part. So he says, The Lord esteemeth all flesh in one. He that is righteous is favored of God. But behold, this people had rejected every word of God, and they were ripe in iniquity, and the fullness of the wrath of God was upon them. As I explained before, when a people ripen in iniquity, they are completely iniquitous from beginning to end, and the rising generation has no way, not, not even know-how, not even you know the least opportunity to rise above it, because they don't know any better. They're raised in it. And so the generations continue this iniquity generation after generation, and that's what happened to the Canaanites. This was what happened to the Jaredites, and eventually happened to the Nephites. And that is why God wiped them out. It was a mercy to do so. And the Lord did curse the land, he says, against them, the Canaanites, and did bless it unto our fathers. Yea, he did curse it against them unto their destruction, because their iniquities were full. And he did bless it unto our fathers unto their obtaining power over it. It was time for them to go, and it was time for a new generation to start, and that was the Israelites. Of course, the Israelites themselves went through the same process and were thrown out of the land. Then we move on to uh, Helaman chapter 15, verse 4. The Lamanites' false traditions that are part of their iniquities. He says, My brethren, the Lamanites, hath he hated, because their deeds have been evil continually and this because of the iniquity of the traditions of their fathers. That behold, salvation hath come unto them through the preaching of the Nephites, and for this intent has the Lord prolonged their days. The preaching of the Nephites, who were namely the sons of Messiah, caused Lehi's blessing upon the sons and daughters of Laman and Lemuel to be fulfilled, as he blessed Laman's and Lemuel's sons and daughters even though Laman and Lemuel were 
themselves perdition types. They were murderous. They attempted murder to murder their father and, and Nephi. And they were murderers in their hearts. It is possible then, in other words, if there are saviors of men, so to speak, like the sons of Messiah were, that they can turn the situations around and that a whole generation of people who inherited false traditions and were in a state of iniquity because of it could be turned around. So it also tells you that perhaps the iniquity of the Lamanites was not yet full. Otherwise, the Lord would have made an end of them and allowed the Nephites to do that, possibly. Next we go to Alma 10, verse 19. When the voice of the people chooses iniquity. Well did Mosiah say, who was our last king, when he was about to deliver up the kingdom, having no one to confer it to, causing that his people should be governed by their own voices, yea, well did he say that if the time should come that the voice of this people should choose iniquity, that is, if the time should come that this people should fall into transgression, they would be ripe for destruction. Of course, this is always hanging over the heads of this land. If they don't serve the God of this land, who is Jesus Christ, they'll be cut off from among his presence. And when that collectively spreads across the land and the people, they are more wicked than righteous, then indeed they would be ripening for destruction, it says today. Now, would you not say that this very thing is happening in our land today? And we could compare these situations in the Book of Mormon to us today. See them all around us. The voice of the people is choosing iniquity, is it not? Have this people not fallen into transgression by and large and are doing more so every day as lawlessness spreads over the land? Next we go to Ether chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. From Moroni, the decrees of God concerning this land. Now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land. He's speaking about the Jaredites. That it is a land of promise, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off, and the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them. And the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands. Wherefore he that doth possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off. For it is the everlasting decree of God, and it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of men that they are swept off. And then he, Moroni, having seen our day, in that very context, says this, And this cometh unto you, O Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent, and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you, as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. And not just the Jaredites, of course, but also the Nephites themselves by this time. And so we have this warning. We know the prophecies well enough to know that indeed this is going to happen to us today as a consequence of our ripening in iniquity and that the same patterns of the past are going to be fulfilled upon us, the Gentiles inhabiting the Americas. Next we go to Second Nephi 28, verses 15 through 16. Perverting the right way of the Lord. And this is speaking of us by Nephi, he's seen our day also, as Moroni has. And he particularly points out the, the influence of the few upon the many and how the many allow that to happen to them. And he's talking about us 
the Gentiles of the end time, oh, the wise and the learned and the rich that are puffed up in the pride of their hearts, and all those who preach false doctrines, and all those who commit whoredoms and pervert the right way of the Lord. Now, we've read this before in different contexts, context of iniquity that we're discussing this. Woe, woe, woe be unto them, saith the Lord God Almighty, for they shall all be thrust down to hell. Really, all these people we looked up to who gave these wonderful discourses, these academics, the wise and the learned and the rich, we kowtowed to them and we thought they were our, our guides and so forth. Yes, a threefold curse. Woe, woe, woe. Woe unto them that turn aside the just for a thing of naught and are vile against that which is good and say that it is of no worth. For the day shall come that the Lord God will speedily visit the inhabitants of the earth and in that day that they are fully ripe in iniquity, they shall perish. There we have it again. And it is the wise and the learned and the rich who are behind a lot of this, and also those who turn aside the just. So we have two groups of people here. We have the leaders or the academics or the teachers. Then we also have the people in politics turn aside, or the judges of the land who turn aside the just for a thing of naught. And we find the same thing in the book of Isaiah. We're going to turn to Isaiah now and see how this picture that the Nephites are predicting for us is the very picture that Isaiah is predicting for us, which they know, and they're just simply repeating it back to us in the Book of Mormon and also giving us types from their own history that kind of trace these things happening in their history so that we can take note and learn from the Book of Mormon to avoid those very same traps. So we go to Isaiah 59, 1 through 4. Iniquities permeate God's people's society. Isaiah says, Surely Jehovah's hand has not become too short to save, nor his ear dull of hearing. These people were kind of the ones left behind when the elect of God from among us go out in the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness to Zion and they were not willing to go, kind of like the foolish virgins. They were too slow in getting it together. They procrastinated the day of their salvation. They did not repent in time. And so now they are meeting the consequences of what they chose to do or not do. It is your iniquities that separate you from your God. Your sins hide his face so that he does not hear you. Uh, their dysfunctional patterns are so bad that they're separated from God, like he said to the foolish virgins, I don't know you. Who are you, basically? For your palms are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips speak guile, your tongue utters duplicity. None calls for righteousness. No one sues for an honest cause. They're suing one another to get money, I guess, but not for honesty. They rely on empty words deceitfully spoken. They conceive misdeeds. They beget wickedness. Not a very pretty picture of our society, but you see it all around you today. How can you not? Go to Isaiah 32, 6 and 7. Perverse preachers and godless predators. He says, The godless utter blasphemy, their heart ponders impiety, how to practice hypocrisy and preach perverse things concerning Jehovah. And that kind of goes along with the wise and the learned that he spoke about a minute ago who are destined for hell because they are perverting the word of God, the right way of the Lord, right? So, then he goes on to say, 
that a practice hypocrisy and preach perverse things concerning Jehovah, leaving the hungry soul empty and depriving the thirsty soul of drink. And then he goes on to say, and rogues scheme by malevolent means and insidious devices to ruin the poor, and with false slogans and accusations to denounce the needy. So there we have the same kind of thing as bringing suits to bear and suing for a dishonest cause, as we saw a moment ago from Isaiah 59, 1 through 4. We go to Isaiah 59, 12 through 14. God's people engage in predatory dealings. This is what they say. They finally realize that they are the ones who are guilty. When these judgments of God stare them in the face, what are they to do? They realize after a while that's a consequence of their own actions and their own choices. Our transgressions before you have multiplied. Our sins testify against us. Our offenses are evident. We perceive our iniquities. Willfully denying Jehovah, backing away from following our God, perversely planning ways of extortion, conceiving in the mind and pondering illicit transactions. Uh, of course, this is by people who have temple recommends, I assume. And so redress is compelled to back away and righteousness to stand at a distance and truth stumbles in the public place and uprightness cannot enter. So that is not a very pretty picture, and yet that is the kind of thing that the Lord castigates his people of and condemns his people because of it, because of their hypocrisy. We go to Isaiah 26, 20-21. A righteous people survives destruction. Come, O my people, enter your chambers and shut the door behind you. Hide yourself a little while until the wrath is past. He's speaking now to his elect, the humble followers of Christ, those who are going to be saved out of this end-time destruction. For now will Jehovah come out of his dwelling place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquities. The earth will uncover the blood shed upon it and no more conceal its slain. So there you have it. And not a pretty picture, but this is where it all goes eventually as people ripen in iniquity and God's judgments come upon them. And we, Latter-day Saints, God's people today, are the first ones whom he addresses in this way. We can't say it's not us. It has been so easy to say, oh, it's the Jews, it was the Nephites, it was these people, that people, it was the non-Mormons. No. He's addressing God's covenant people today. So it is us. So we better figure out where we're doing this and clean up our acts so that we may be among those elect whom he hides from the storm that's coming. So in summary, ripening in iniquity occurs when false traditions and dysfunctional patterns so pervade God's people that they are swept from the face of the earth. Time frame is Book of Mormon times and the time before the coming of Christ. Moving forward, do we have dysfunctional patterns that we should be repenting of, that we should be taking ownership of? If so, get busy because we're running out of time, right? Next time, what does the utter destruction look like that God has decreed upon the world? And recommended reading, End Time Prophecy, a Judeo-Mormon analysis. Thank you for listening today. Please join us next time and please share. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Join us next time when we learn a decreed utter destruction. Could Isaiah's prophecies of an utter destruction upon the whole earth be fulfilled in our day? Does Book of Mormon history illustrate what that looks like?